seated. A reading from the book of Deuteronomy. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his judgments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord may bless you in the land that you are entering in to possess. But if in your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn to the worship of other gods and serve them, I declare to you to this day that I shall surely that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and to possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live and you and your descendants. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. For he is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give them. Word of the Lord. This morning, David will be bringing the word, so. That. Hey, can you guys hear that? Oh. There you go. <laughs> well, hey, it's good to see you guys. I got up at uh, 2.30 this morning. I was so pumped up about this. And so if I fall asleep in the middle of it, you just kind of tap me on the shoulder and tell me it's over and I'll sit down. And that'll be, that'll be kind of the end of it. So, um, perfect. I think that makes sense. Matt called me at work on Friday and he goes, hey, would you like to preach Sunday? And I'm like, you know, I've been thinking about this because you told me about this baby thing, but I'd really rather preach the 27th, like we said. And he goes, well, no, actually the baby's coming. So, and I said, okay, I'm there, I'm ready. So that's kind of where we're at here. So what you see right here is uh, Matt's diagram that he's done all year, right? And so I thought it'd make it kind of physical and kind of real for us. Um, and what I want to do is summarize essentially what happened in the wilderness and what we've preached on, Matt's preached on for the last, I don't know, five years it's been. So, and I picked out the five biggest highlights out of it and from, in my mind, the Ten Commandments didn't even make it. So that's kind of crazy, right? So there's that. Okay, so what we have here is, what is that? Okay, I'll give you one more chance. Just hold on for a second. You're not supposed to say anything. All right, what is, what is this? See, kids nowadays, this is the Red Sea. Clearly? Okay, so it's clearly the Red Sea. And you guys are starting to think about Matt's diagram now, aren't you? Like, you remember that diagram? Whoa, 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 whoa. Just a little spillage, no problem. Okay. A little more spillage, a little mold in the carpet. That never hurt any church. In fact, it really doesn't feel like a church unless there's mold in the carpet, right? So, I give you one chance. That's the Red Sea. This would be... Whoa, whoa, who said that? The Jordan River? Oh, that's my brother. Okay. I mean, I will try not to spill as much over here. 
So what that kind of means is uh, you guys over there are Egypt and slavery and death and sin and all that stuff. And you guys over, oh, there is no one in the promised land. I, I can clearly see that now. Oh, and by the way, I uh, made the mistake and I bought these at Sam's. So I have like 35 of them. If anybody wants any, because my wife's like, uh, you know they sell those at Walmart, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, I got them at Sam's. So anyway, seriously, if you need any of those, that's awesome. So what I want to do is take that drawing that he did, and I want to pick out five awesome things out of it and kind of talk about it. This metaphor is going to go forth on three levels. First of all, it's the actual what happened to Israel in the wilderness. Okay, they were in slavery and sin. They came through the Red Sea. They moved into the wilderness. And in Matt's drawing, what does he say? You are here, right? So this is their existence. This is them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, doing all that kind of stuff. And eventually, physically, they actually move into the promised land, right? So that's the physical thing of what happens. But we also want to carry it, and we won't have time to do it, but we want to carry it forward to the life of Jesus. So that how did he move from to here, to the resurrection, right? And then you want to think about it when Matt uses the illustration about your life. So how do you move from death, sin, slavery, through not the Red Sea, but baptism? Into the wilderness we call this life, right? Which is a sojourn. Peter calls it, you're a sojourner, you're a pilgrim, you're an exile, right? And so we wander through this wilderness, and then eventually we die, okay, at which point metaphorically in our songs we say that we cross the Jordan and we come into, the, into heaven, okay? So you want to carry this forward on those three levels and that'll be beautiful. Um, a couple of words about the wilderness. I was reading Augustine and here's, here's something I didn't believe when I was younger but I believe now. He says, is not human life on earth a trial? Who would want to encounter its troubles and difficulties? You command us to endure them, but not to love them. When I was a kid, I maybe, and we were first married, I maybe didn't see that, but life is a trial. People die, cancer, divorce, jobs, disappointment in yourself, disappointment in your kids, disappointment in your siblings or your parents. People get addicted. There's random weird accidents and even fungus, okay? There's just stuff in this life that is hard, and it's tough, and it's a trial, okay? Um, he says again, is not life on earth an unrelenting trial? All my hope is it in your abundantly great mercy. Father, all my hope is in your abundantly great mercy. All of my hope is in your abundantly great mercy. And then Augustine, as he thinks through it, he says this phrase, which he uses all through the confessions, grant what you command, but command what you will. And we'll unpack that baby in just a second. So this time in this wilderness, in this sojourn, in this life here, is not necessarily going to be that easy. I just want to make one little point. Israel was not set free to do whatever they just wanted to do. And that was hard for me. As a young Christian, I was kind of thinking, yeah, this sin stuff is a problem. It'd be pretty awesome if God redeemed me from it and healed me and, and took me out of my addictions. And then I can go do whatever I want, right? But essentially what Paul says is that you were bought with a price, that you are not your own. So Israel was released from slavery, released from Egypt in order to become God's special people. 
They went from one servitude to another, right? And that's something I think is kind of crucial in this because if we think about sometimes our American sense, it's like, I am free. I am free. I can do whatever I want. Um, and that's why Superman's our hero, right? Because he gets as close to freedom as you can get, right? No restrictions. A little kryptonite here and there. But he's essentially, you know, he's pretty much that hero. Israel was not set free to do whatever. Rather, there's a little bubble in my throat. Rather, uh, free to enter a deeper relationship to God, to become his special people. As it says later in Deuteronomy, a people for his own possession. Or to throw it into New Testament terms, we are to be the bride of Christ. Okay? And in that covenant, there is something uh, that ties them and makes them tight together. Or as Bob Dylan would say, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Serve somebody. Do you not know this song? Somebody does. I love Bob Dylan's song. And if you have a harmonica, just pop it out and we'll, we'll just drop it right there. Okay, you're right. Um, so I, th I think that's that. I think we'll press that. So let's go to, and this is, this is kind of funny. I like, when Matt told me this, I'm like, dude, your illustrations are not that great. And so like, I'm going to put one that's going to be better than yours because I'm a guy and everything's competition. My wife informed me this morning that my illustration is not better than Matt's. So <laughs> see it now. <laughs> and I'm like, it's kind of a race to the bottom between the two of us. You know what I'm saying? Like who has the worst handwriting? Who's the Who's the terriblest? Okay, so what we need to do is we're going to take this physical experience in this room and we're going to lift it up, right? Did everybody see it on the screen now? Okay. All right. So we just made that, that change right there. So that's beautiful. The five big things that I wanted to talk about, and again, I don't know, I just picked these because they, they touched my heart and somebody else would have picked five different ones, if you will. All right? As a father carries his son, the presence of God, a special people, rebellion and restoration, which is the part I need more than you do, and to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So I just want to hit those five really quick, okay? And then we'll press on from there. This one is, I just think, one of the most precious ones, and I didn't realize what a metaphor this is throughout the entire scripture. At the opening of Deuteronomy, it says, in the wilderness you saw how the Lord God carried you as a father carries his son. How many, I've got four kids. How many times did I carry my son? How many times did I carry my daughter? Sometimes I pick them up, sometimes two of them. I remember we were up on Ute and Corey couldn't get down because it was just snow and it was cold and she was skiing too slow. So I grabbed her, right? And I skied down with her like this. Really brilliant, stupid idea. But sometimes, honestly, I drop my kids. Uh, I really did, whether it was physically or metaphorically. You know, I wasn't there. I was in my own thing. I missed them. I wasn't the dad I needed to be in those moments. But God never drops us, if that makes sense. He carries us. He's there for us at every moment. And he promised Israel, and he, and he spoke to them. He said, as a father carries his son, so I carried you in the wilderness. And, of course, that metaphor goes forward all the way through, right? Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. That notion of a shepherd and the father carrying a son and a shepherd carrying a sheep, same metaphor. Jesus says, um, I am the good shepherd. I just ran across this one in Psalm 28. Lead them like a shepherd and carry them in your arms forever. 
In Isaiah, when speaking of Jesus, Isaiah says, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. So if we carry this metaphor through, when you think about it, as they walk through the wilderness, regardless of their rebellion and their sin and their flipping God off and worshiping idols and making doing all this crazy stuff, he still carried them and protected them. As Christ came through baptism into this world, the Father still carried Christ in the middle of all that. As he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, God is demanding something of him, and yet God is carrying him at the same moment. And as we go through our lives, when you lose the job, or there's the divorce, or there's the brokenness, or there's the celebration, or there's whatever, it doesn't matter, okay? All things work together for good to those who are called by him and who love him, and he carries you in that. And so I found that out of the last five years so awesome, to know that whatever happened in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, whatever is the metaphor there, he's carrying us and he's walking with us and he's protecting us and he's got us. So if you walk away with that today, that the Lord loves me and I may look like an old guy, but in some sense to him, I'm a kid and he can pick me up and he can hold me and carry me whatever I'm going to face, right? Whatever it is. Um, and we know that, right? I mean, 36 years? We know that. We've seen that. And that's awesome. All right. Look at that. One card down. You guys are almost out of here. That is great. So this is an Exodus mashup, I call it, where I just couldn't pick a scripture out of Exodus. Um, and you could find a whole bunch more. And essentially what we're talking about here is the presence of God. So the other thing, not only did God carry them, but they came into the wilderness, into the wild, to meet his presence. I don't know if you know that. We, we grew up uh, doing backpack trips, 10-day backpack trips, and we'd take all these wild kids on these trips and do all this stuff. There's something beautiful about the wilderness because the t back then it was the tech. It was the Sony Walkman. Do, 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 do. Put the little set in there. Um, but just to get away from all of that and be in the wilderness unplugged was amazing. In some sense, God takes us into our own wilderness sometimes to speak to us because the noise in 2020... Loud enough for you yet? Loud enough? <laughs> Every day, it's screaming at you, right? And sometimes you can't hear because there's all that noise. And sometimes God has to take you into the wilderness, right, to speak to you. What he speaks to him then is not so much a word, which he does speak a word, but it's his actual presence. Here's the mashup out of Exodus. Exodus 20. The people kept their distance, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. And that's an interesting thing. If you really see God, you should be a little, you should be a lot of terrified about coming into his presence. It's not a casual thing to come into the presence of the living God. It's a terrible thing to fall within his hands. And in some sense, the people were right to go, I'm not sure I want to go into his presence. Moses. You go do it for us, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you go do it for us. But one of the things that's awesome about being this side of the cross is that veil has been torn, and the opening of you to move into the presence of God, it's there. You can come into his presence because you're covered with the blood of the lamb, right? So that's terrifying. Don't do it casually. And that's excellent, right? That is excellent. Um, Communion in the wilderness? Do they have communion? 
Did they break bread together? Did I don't Okay. Exodus 24. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders went up and they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet there was something like a pavement made of sapphire, like clear like the sky itself. But he did not lay a hand. Who didn't lay a hand on the leaders of Israel? God. <laughs> God did not lay a hand on the leaders of Israel. So they saw God and they ate and they drank. They ate and they drank. I call that the, the first communion in some ways, right? What is communion? But to take the body and to take the bread and to take the wine in the presence of God. That's beautiful and that's awesome. You might notice that the communion table is in the middle of my little illustration. Is that an accident? No, the very presence of God in the wilderness as we go through the trials and the hardness and the difficulties of life. He wants to meet you so face to face. He wants to be present in your life. And you may not want it sometimes. Oh, don't worry about it. Just turn on the TV. Just watch a little more Netflix. Binge watch that, and then you won't have to think about it. I'm being, I'm being bad right now, aren't I? Okay, I take it back. Um, Exodus 25. And there I will meet you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. Don't have time to go into the mercy seat. Awesome. Matt's already done it. Exodus 33. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. All right. Third thing, a special people. This we've talked about a lot for the last five years. And again, this is just to kind of, this whole thing is to kind of highlight kind of what Matt's done in the last five years and the way he's walked us through this. And if you missed it, it's okay, it's still there. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, the Lord did not choose you or set his love on you because you were more numbered than any of the peoples, but because you were the fewest of all the peoples. But because the Lord loved you. But because the Lord loved you. So they've been called, Abraham was called out of Ur to be separate and different. And he was marked and cut by circumcision, right? And that circumcision marked them and said they are a different people than any other people, right? And I don't think that was probably comfortable for the grown man Abraham, and we'll just leave it at that. But that cutting and that marking made him separate. The same as that people went down through the line of Joseph into Egypt for 400 years, and as they're cut and marked out and become this special people in the wilderness, I don't think it's easy on them in any way, shape, or form, but it's important. So as they come there, I have a question, and that is, why did God call Israel into the wild? Like, why did he pull them out of Egypt into the wild? And I have three answers. He called them to bless the nations, right? Isn't that why, what he says to Abraham? You have been called to be a blessing to all the nations. And God calls Israel as this special people to bless the nations. Why does God call Jesus, fully God and fully man, into the manger, into the incarnation, son of Mary and Joseph, through baptism? And where does he go after baptism? Into the wilderness, right? To be tempted by Satan. Why does God call Jesus to bless the nations, right? Why does he call you? 
out of your addiction, out of your sin, out of your brokenness, out of your rebelliousness, rebelliousness, out of your frustration, out of your, he calls you to be what? A blessing, maybe not to the nations. I mean, we all got big egos and stuff, but maybe just to the person next to us, right? Maybe just to Glenwood Springs, maybe just to our neighbor, maybe just to our place at work. So that calling to be a special people is a gift in a strange way to the rest of the world. Why does he call them? Just said in Deuteronomy, because he loves them. Because he loves them. And that's the scandal of particularity, which Matt talked a lot about and I won't go into, but it's one of those really strange things. God's going to call Abraham. He's going to make this one peculiar people, and he's going to reveal the scripture to them. And through this particular people, that good news will go out throughout all the world. That calling is very particular, and it's not real popular today, right, to say, oh, this is a particular, this is a special people. Um, And I guess that's the scandal of it. Why does he call Jesus? Because he loves him. Why does he call you? Because he loves you, right? So all three carry on that one. And then finally, you're a special people, and you're called to be his people. You're called to be different than the world. You're called to be other than the world. You know, I always sent our kids to public schools because I was a history teacher and all this stuff, and Kim was teaching in schools. And one of the things we always said to our kids is like, you're going to be in the world, but not of the world. Does that make sense? In the world, but not of the world. And that's important, right? It's important to do that, to figure out how to be in the world, uh, in the chaos of your job or, or your neighbors or whatever, and not be of that, okay? And that's, that's an interesting, difficult thing to do. Second Corinthians looks like this. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters. Now, fourth one is the one I'm most familiar with on a personal level. And that's rebellion and restoration. Rebellion and restoration. And you see this cyclical pattern over and over just in the wilderness, right? And you probably know it in your own life if you pay much attention, okay? And I don't know what your particular rebellion is, um, but I know that probably as you got called out of your sin, out of your brokenness, into becoming one of God's people, that you probably still sometimes go, I wish I could go back to Egypt, Like, I want this other thing. Like, he's not really, can he set a table in the wilderness? He's maybe not really satisfying me here. Maybe this other thing. Augustine calls it the particular versus the whole. So Augustine says that that what happens is you get focused on one part, and you don't see the beauty of the whole. So he says, (laughs) because Augustine is talking about lust, he says, if you see a beautiful body, good for you. Say thank you, Lord, and turn away quickly, <laughs> lest you sin and, and curse the Lord, right? And so he's not, he's not saying that body's not beautiful. He's just saying it's a part of a whole, and it only is beautiful within the whole and totality of what it was created to be, not just as this piece of meat to be objectified and separated out, 
right? And we could do that about gossip. We could talk about money. We could talk about your addiction to uh, whatever the thing is, food or, you know, whatever your thing is, right? I don't know what your thing is. And maybe you don't have a thing, which ends up being your thing. Dude, I don't have a thing. That's your thing. All right. So then you lose on that one. So that, that doesn't work very well. Um, so rebellion and restoration. This cycle is so crucial and so important. And it's, it's called, in the Christian life, sanctification, right? We are justified by Jesus on the cross, but sanctification is to become holy like he is holy, okay? One of the things the world misses about Christians is they think Christians are saying that they're holy. Christians are, should never be saying we're holy. What we should be saying is we are broken and we want to be more like Christ, okay? We want to be more like Christ, uh, one of the charges against Christians, of course, is always that they're hypocrites, right? Well, if you're not a little bit of a hypocrite, your ideals aren't very high. I mean, one way to not be a hypocrite is just to have no ideals. And then, well, I didn't, I didn't want to live up to anything, and I didn't, so there you go, okay? But as a Christian, you have the highest ideal in the world is to be like Christ. Are you going to meet that every day, Merle? No, <laughs> and neither am I, right? You know, neither am I. And so by definition, you're almost going to be a hypocrite, right? Because you're not going to quite meet that. You're not going to even come close, probably, or I'm not going to come close. All right, so it looks like this uh, in Psalm uh, 106. They made an image of a calf at Horeb, and they worshiped the metal idol. They traded their majestic God for the image of an ox that eats grass. That's Paul's charge against all of us, right? In Romans 1, for you turned and worshiped the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. And you didn't even give thanks, right? Um, they rejected God who delivered them, who performed great deeds in Egypt, mighty acts by the Red Sea. He threatened to destroy them, but Moses, his chosen one, interceded with him, and he turned back his destructive anger, which you also heard in the section that Hampton read, right? So as you carry this metaphor forward again, Moses intercedes often for the people in the wilderness. And of course, then when you, if you want to turn this in, and that's a reality, but if you want to turn this into a metaphor, as Christ comes through the waters of baptism, some might think a huge portion of the purpose of his life is what? To, to intercede, right? To be the real Moses, right? To be the one that steps between God's wrath and shows us his mercy, right? And so Christ does do that. All right, last one. I'm trying to fly, Matt. Here we go. Um, oops, second card. Down, last one. And this is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is one of the interesting things about the Christian life. And that is we are to do things. We're commanded to do things, but we can't do them. And we, we are to be holy, but we can't be holy, right? And so there's this interesting dynamic that you see right in Deuteronomy, and it looks like this. How many times in Deuteronomy does he ask you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? Does anybody know? Darn, I don't either. But a lot. Okay, <laughs> let's just say a lot. But at the end of Deuteronomy, he comes back and he says, so in, in the first, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. At the end of Deuteronomy, he comes back and he says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. In other words, I command you to do this, but I'm going to have to make it happen. Have you ever seen that pattern in the biblical situation? It's all over the scripture. 
I ask you to do this, but I'm going to have to actually give you the power to do that. And I will say, going back to this, when Abraham was cut, it hurt. If God's going to circumcise your heart so that you might love him, it's going to hurt. I don't think there's a cutting that doesn't hurt. All right? And just, I don't know, embrace the pain, I guess. But I think as you press into the Christian life, it will not be easy. And I'm not really talking physical pain here. I'm talking emotional pain, relational pain, difficulty. And, and most of that is just coming to know who you actually are. I mean, there, there's kind of who you think you are and then who you actually are. And those aren't quite the same thing sometimes because <laughs> we're not really very honest sometimes with ourselves. Okay. So, but just know that even that cutting, I don't know if this is fair. I might be in blasphemy territory, but it hurt God when Christ went to the cross. There was a cutting there that happened. There was a marking there that even hurt God in that. And so I think anytime you move to that, it's going to be painful. I was listening to an interview with G.I. Packer, obviously before he died this summer. Um, and in the interview, he's like 85 years old. G.I. Packer's like a great uh, writer, wrote uh, Knowing God and all kinds of stuff, great preacher, great theologian. And uh, they're asking him, well, well, what do you do with this? What do you do with this dilemma? And he says this. He goes back to John Owen, the great Puritan, and he says, first of all, you must be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's worth the whole sermon right there. If you would just take that phrase from John Owen and remember it, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And, and Packer says, this is how I handle the dilemma. Okay, Knowing that it all depends on God, I proceed as if it all depends on me. And then at the end of the day, if I've done anything right in that, I give him great thanks. Does that kind of make sense? I know it all depends on God, but I'm going to spend my day as if it all depended on me. I'm going to act as if it all depended on me. And at the end of the day, I'm going to give him praise and thanks. Now, in case you don't think that this is deep within the scripture, listen to Leviticus. Set yourselves apart to be holy. I am the Lord your God who makes you holy. Do you hear that? Do this, I do it. Paul says, I labor striving according to the power which mightily works in me. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work both in you to will and work for his good pleasure. My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. God says to Ezekiel, son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. And he spoke to me, and the spirit entered me, the wind entered me, and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. That's like five or six examples, but if, if you read the Bible, it's all over it. And that is we proceed, we love the Lord our God with all our heart. He gives us the power to do that. Can't exhaust that one. It's too awesome. All right. Let's go to the next beautiful illustration, which is pretty darn exciting. Okay. And this will just fly through this one here. So Jesus is fully God and fully man. And he enters into life at the manger, the baby Jesus. And he grows and he comes through the waters of baptism. And he goes right into the wilderness. This is where it kind of breaks down. When we fail, when the Israelites fail, and you and I fail in the life that we live, he doesn't fail, right? 
He remains utterly, completely faithful to God. He fulfills his Father's will. He has a perfect intercession for us. And he has communion with God in the middle of that. Right? So even when in the garden, when he feels like he's abandoned, he's not. He has that communion and that conversation with the Father. Open and honest. At the cross, the Roman guard takes the spear and stabs him, and the blood and the wine, blood and the water separate, and he moves to death, and he's resurrected, and he reigns forever. He defeats death, and he will gather together his bride and set them free. One last thing on that, and that is John thirteen three. When Matt kind of came up with this drawing, it, it really wasn't that unique. Sorry, Matt. Um, because this pattern is so deep in the Bible. Where have we come from? Where are we now? And where are we going? So the last week of Jesus' life, John 13, he's facing tremendous stress and tremendous pressure and tremendous betrayal and the cross and all that. And Jesus says in John 13.3, just listen to this. Knowing what was coming to him, right? Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going to God. And that's really beautiful. And we need to see that pattern. And I think it's one of the, things, one of the reasons I love Matt's illustration here, because it grounds me. As I'm in the the terror and the horror and the difficulty of this present life, right, and the, the hardness of it, I know that I came from God. I'm in this wilderness not alone, and I'm going to God. Now, lest you think that pattern isn't right and doesn't carry forward, um, all right, we'll skip that. That's good. Last beautiful illustration, and I just ran out of time. Matt, I, I asked Matt, could I preach for three weeks? He said, no. <laughs> but listen to this in Ephesians, okay? Listen to this biblical pattern and hear it. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, right, when we were dead in Egypt, he made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, right, into the promised land, that into the ages to come he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward Christ Jesus. See that pattern, that awesome biblical pattern? And just because I can, because he's probably not going to turn off the mic, let me tell you how Peter says it, okay? Peter 1, God the Father knew you and cho chose you long ago. God knew you and chose you long ago. And his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy we've been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. So I really have appreciated the last five summers and uh, Matt has brought out so many things and I appreciate him allowing me to cherry pick his diagram 
and cherry pick all the cool parts of the last five years, right? How can you screw that sermon up? I don't know. I don't think you can. So let's pray together, and then, Matt, you got it. Father, we love you, and we're so grateful for your mercy and for your life. Pray that we would see what we need to see uh, today. And as we come to the communion table, let us remember the waters of baptism that we've come through. And let us partake in the body and the blood of Christ in a transformative way. And let us remember that someday, we don't know when, soon or far, we'll cross the Jordan and we're coming to be the bride of Christ, to be forever with you, healed from the pain and the scars and the hurt of this world, a separate and special people, saved by the blood of the Lamb. So we love you, Father, and ask your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.